1: And so we come to the end of another week here on Political Rewind, and as has been the case for months and months now, a lot of political news uh, to talk about uh, with our panel. Uh, let's get right to introducing them on this very cold morning. I, it's only, I think, 29, 30 degrees uh, in uh, in in my uh, neighborhood. Uh, I think in Macon, it's about 33. Savannah's in the mid-30s. So is Valdosta. So... Um, stay with us, uh, sit by the fire, and watch politi- listen to Political Rewind this morning. Jim Galloway is with us. He, of course, is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Uh, he is joined this morning by his boss, editor of the AJC, Kevin Riley. Uh, Jim, I think we need to start this show by asking Kevin, who is a diehard, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, how he's feeling about the announcement that the other shoe is dropped. Cleveland, Jim, is finally going to have a new name.
2: Uh, right now, it's just the generic name. So how about it, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's yeah. the react? Yeah, you got the an react- idea for what, us,
1: Kevin?
3: Uh, I don't have any bright ideas. Bright ideas for a name, Uh, but this, of course, has been a long time coming uh, for the Cleveland team. Um, They eliminated their sort of caricature logo from their official uh, memorabilia, but of course that only made it more popular, priceless, and expensive. So um, I think uh, they've got a big challenge before them. But with luck, they will engage fans and come out of this okay and maybe win a World Series uh, for the first time since (laughs)
4: 1948.
1: You know, we should we should point out State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver of Decatur, who is with us this morning as well, that everything is political these days. Um, when the news was breaking this past week or so that that Cleveland was on the verge of changing, of dropping Indians as their name, of course Kelly Leffler and David Purdue issued a statement condemning uh, that fact. I mean, even baseball is not free from politics right now.
0: Nothing is free from politics in Georgia. 2020. And I want to say to Kevin, I'm interested to see how he recreates a new form of Jim Galloway for your paper. That is kind of a pivotal moment for me as to whether or not I keep walking out to the front yard to pick up my newspaper. What <laughs> well, Kevin- happens if Jim Galloway's not on my front yard? Well,
3: cat- I. Uh- Uh, We do get occasional complaints of him being in people's front yards, but that aside for a moment, uh, uh, Representative Oliver, uh, uh, what I would tell you is Jim himself has played a big role in preparing for uh, things when he leaves. Uh, We hired Patricia Murphy, who is also a frequent guest on this show. Uh, And you can expect the Political Insider uh, blog. You can uh, expect the newsletter. You can expect our coverage in print and online. To carry on in large measure because of a hard, how hard Jim has worked to make sure that happens. Thank you.
1: All right, we're going to have plenty of time. We're going to have plenty of time to eulogize Galloway in the uh, between now and January fifteenth, <laughs> and I'm still when not he dead. actually retires. No. Yeah, that's exact. Thank. God for that. And uh, we have every uh, expectation that you'll still hear Galloway's voice uh, on Political Rewind. We're still talking about that happening as the weeks go forward. Brian Robinson. I don't mean to leave you out of this conversation. Uh, We're glad to have you with us. Brian, of course, you all know, a Republican political consultant, but also the president of Robinson Republic, a a communications firm that he founded after leaving as uh, communications director for the first term of Governor Nathan Deal. And of course, Brian also has experience on the Hill working up there for Republican Congressman Lynn Westmoreland. how are you doing this morning, Brian? I'm doing great, and I'm sure
4: that the talk about Galloway's job and who is going to succeed him is going to lead many of the Political Rewind Facebook group who are always writing about how fair and balanced and insightful and wise I am. They're going to be probably starting a campaign to have me become the new columnist for the AJC. So, I mean, but don't don't even start. Um, I don't think Kevin's going to buy it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't think Kevin Brian, can you afford know it. we always. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. Let's get started with the uh, political conversation today. Actually, let's start with we're going to do take a look at, at data for just a couple of minutes. Um, first of all, I, the, the sobering news this morning is that the pandemic continues to rage uh, out of control uh, here in Georgia. Um, we uh, from the Department of Public Health have a report that Yesterday, and they've now started including probable cases of COVID-19, as well as confirmed. They say the combination of those two yesterday uh, was uh, 7,832 probable and confirmed cases of COVID. We had 56 deaths yesterday, and... um, the 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 uh, vaccine is getting very, very limited distribution in the state right now. That's a story in and of itself. Um, Pfizer says they have millions of doses that they're ready to ship, uh, but states are so far getting less than uh, was expected. Uh, Jim, I, I know that we're not the experts on the public health issues here, but nevertheless, You know, at a time when um, we're already skeptical about government because of the past four years of the Trump administration kind of making us doubt uh, facts and science. Uh, This is troubling because we don't know what the federal government could be doing to ensure that the doses that Pfizer says they're ready to send out are actually getting. We do not know how well organized this effort has been by the federal government.
2: No, no, uh, and and the story from Pfizer is that they've got those millions of doses in their warehouses, but they're waiting on the federal p- paperwork. Uh, the federal, uh, the 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 arm of of the federal government that's in charge of uh, of the distribution is saying it's no. The fault lies with Pfizer down here. Uh, I mean, um, um, our, our colleague uh, Ariel Hart. Uh, had, had, has an interesting piece in the paper today uh, that just kind of illustrates how it, it's, it's how unevenly this the, this uh, this uh, vaccine is being distributed in in Georgia. I mean, we've got uh, we've got a few doses going to this hospital and that, whereby uh, but uh, say the, the the cancer the the cancer treatment of America cancer has, treatment. Uh, uh, which is a private, a private, privately owned hospital, uh, said, said they've got enough vaccines to uh, inoculate their whole staff. Brian,
1: this is troubling. If we're going to begin doubting whether the administration is doing a good job distributing the vaccine, this is going to uh, cause even more turmoil in terms of people's attitudes about public health right now. That's true. But, you know... Uh,
4: I will say if I can be partisan for just a minute here. Uh, oh. you're heading into uh, yeah, yeah, I know you weren't gonna stop me, right? Um uh, the uh the the coverage of the vaccine before the election was sort of eye rolling about the possibility of there being a vaccine available at all by the end of the year. And then as soon as the election was over, it was like, Hey, vaccine's almost here and I don't always agree with what the Trump administration says, but I do think there's some legitimacy in, in how they're portraying it. And I, I wouldn't bet, uh, I, mean, I would bet that by January 20th, when the new administration comes in, that the media coverage is going to change uh, about this. And it'll be like, hey, distribution is going great now. I, I do think there's a partisan edge to it a bit. Of course, there's going to be some hiccups in a nationwide distribution system with a scarce vaccine that we're trying to make as quickly as possible.
0: Cancer treatment, of you, you got my attention. My ears picked up when you said cancer treatment of America. That's a, that's a pretty controversial private entity, certainly in my neck of the woods of Emory's cancer work over here. Um, I think that the tension about getting the virus uh, from many, many different places is going to be. Uh, accelerating. I don't think it's going to be calming down. And I think the management of that is going to be an incredibly uh, important test. Uh, Is it distributed fairly? Is it uh, getting to the people most in need? Let me give you an example of an issue that if I were in charge, I'd be really thinking hard about how to handle. Over half the people in nursing homes are incompetent to make medical decisions for themselves. How is the nursing home industry going to handle administering a vaccine uh, to a very fragile medical population when there's no one there to give consent. Uh, Many people, a very high percentage of people in nursing homes are very much alone without family, without medical directives, without uh, a real attentive medical care. That's an interesting question uh, that I don't know how they're going to handle. But the tension around Uh, distribution of the vaccine is going to accelerate. We know we're in a dangerous spot uh, medically. We know who the folks are that are vulnerable and we know that it's going to take months to get, I'm looking at our panel. uh, Our panel is not in uh, a third of us are not, not all of us Well, fewer than half of us are in the targeted group to get a vaccine in the first couple of months. That tension is going to rise, and eyes are going to be on this incredibly important management
1: issue. Uh, Kevin, I do want to say that uh, HHS Secretary Alex Azar uh, was doing a lot of media uh, last night and this morning. He insists that they will still have 20 million doses distributed by the end of the year. That's a big, big uh, challenge, uh, given uh, the number that have been released Uh, so far. But the good news is, Kevin, uh, Moderna is about to get uh, uh, approval to begin its distribution. And uh, one of the things that's very important for Georgia about that is that the Moderna vaccine doesn't have to have the super cold temperatures that the Pfizer vaccine does, which means that uh, rural Georgia's uh, facilities will have better access to that, which has also been a concern, Kevin.
3: Yeah, I, I think it raises a, a bunch of concerns, and uh, I know Brian uh, got a little partisan there as, as he warned us, uh, but I, I have to agree with one of his points, which is, of course, early on, with hope so high and numbers probably slightly overestimated, um, the, the it hasn't gone really well. Um, I think it will go better as we go along, but uh, Representative Oliver's right, I mean, There needs to be better transparency, better clarity on exactly how it's working, exactly who's in line, exactly how well they're being served, because otherwise um, this could, you know, it it could get ugly. It could turn into just everybody trying to worry about themselves uh, getting the vaccine. And if it comes to that, uh, we know it won't go well.
1: Um, All right, let's look at another set of uh, data that's important today, Jim Galloway. Um, We now have had in uh, absentee uh, ballots turned in and early voting in just the first four days, something like 1.23 million people voting in the January 5th runoff election. That's a pretty staggering number for a runoff, uh, Jim Galloway. What does it tell you about uh, the appetite for uh, voting in this uh, runoff?
2: Well, it it could tell you that the TV ads are are working and they are driving people to the polls in, in numbers that we don't usually see in runoffs. Uh, but it could also also keep in mind that this runoff is, is, uh, is, is nine weeks from the general, and it skips over Thanksgiving, and we've got, uh, we've got uh, uh, Christmas and New Year's ahead of us. And you've got some people who may be just trying to, trying to get those ballots in uh, so they can turn off the TV and, and listen to a little Christmas music and, uh, and uh, 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 drink a little uh, 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 eggnog on New Year's Day. Uh, so, so it's 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 hard to say right now. I, th- I think the more interesting uh, stat that we've that that, uh, uh, that 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 we've got is that uh, there have been there are seventy five thousand new voter voters registered that's, since November third, and idea. and and the bulk of that uh, the the bulk of those are are young people uh, and and people of color.
1: Yeah, Mary Margaret, that's a and it's saying that that uh, that's enough people to swing the election.
0: I think that's a huge, hugely significant number. We know that Georgia's young voters voted four percent more than the national average, and the Ossoff campaign is very much targeting uh, that group of seventy thousand plus new voters. It's uh, pretty fascinating to me to see the partnerships that are developing here. Ossoff bringing young voters to the polls and Warnock bringing bringing the uh, African-American, church-going, loyal voters to the polls is a very strong partnership. I'm pretty excited about the the early numbers in this opportunity to uh, take control of the U.S. Senate.
3: So, Brian, uh, you know, following up on Representative Oliver's optimism, uh, of course, because of what happened in the Georgia presidential election, it's not surprising, right? A Democrat would be optimistic about all this early voting. But how do you see it from the Republican side? And, and you know, with, with a couple things I'm thinking about. First, we don't have the most important candidates urging people not to vote early or by mail. Um, so that could help the Republicans maybe this time. And, um, again, that tradition of Republicans finding a way to win roms.
4: Yeah, there's several things going in Republicans' favor right now. And the number one, Kevin, is fear. The, The Democrats got what they wanted. They are fat and happy. And their main goal was to get rid of Donald Trump. And it's going to be hard to motivate many passive voters to get back out again when they sort of feel like they've, you know, they played the game. They're good. They won. Moving on. Yeah, whereas Republicans have every reason to be scared of having a complete Democrat control of every lever of power in Washington, and you know, as my my God, boss it would nation, be
3: like Republicans in Georgia,
4: Brian. That would be a nightmare. <laughs> I would, I would strongly argue, Kevin. This is a well-run state, and I'm happy to defend our record uh, as uh, as the number one state in which to do business. Right, Mary Margaret? Um, uh, uh, I, I've heard
0: that before.
4: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we said it a few times. So, you know, Republicans do have some in- instinctive advantages. But, you know, one thing that we heard in the general election was Democrats saying, huge turnout in our areas. But Republicans were saying, huge turnout in our areas. And they were both right. I mean, we had five million voters. I mean, an incredible, uh, uh, record-breaking number. So we may be seeing the same thing here, yes. The huge number of absentee voters, yes, the 70,000-plus new voters, many of whom are 18 to 28, those are great things for Democrats. But people in rural areas where Trump and Kemp can get 85 percent of the vote in some of these counties, they're turning out as well. But look, we are a 50-50 state, and I have been screaming this from the towers for years, Galloway knows that. Me and, he and I have had this conversation. I've given many speeches to industry groups on this, and people looked at me like I, like, like I was nuts. And I said in 2018 to a group, 2018, the gun race is gonna be within one point. It was, and I said in 2020, it'll be tied. It was. So Republicans have to adjust to this new reality. Is this competitive? Do Democrats have a shot here? Yes, they do. But Republicans should still have some fundamentals in their favor, and the fact—I'll close with this—the fact that the polls show it tied means the Republicans are winning.
2: Jim, I, I wouldn't—I w- I wouldn't terribly disagree with that, just given that historically Republicans have a better ground game when it comes to runoffs. Although, although it, it's—it's hard—it's—it's it, it's hard to say this is a, a a normal run. These this pair of uh, races are, are normal no, normal runoffs. Uh, Republicans still have a problem with messaging uh because you've got a president who is not yet conceding and so it kind of undercuts the 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 uh the the primary message in in the Senate runoffs which is uh we need uh, we need to to be able to keep a keep a check on on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi now you see and 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 actually that's 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 how i interpret uh Mitch McConnell's uh uh, Acknowledgement of uh, uh, President-elect Biden's uh, status, because I, I, I'm sure he's trying to undercut that message from the president. Uh, the, the problem is that as long as Trump continues to say, "Oh, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be taking the oath of office on January 20th," he's he's giving Democrats in Georgia a rallying point. Uh, he is he is he is uh, this is the, he, he's giving them an emotional reason to come out and vote again.
1: Mary Margaret, I know you want to jump in. Before you do, let me add this layer to uh, the comments. I know you are, I don't know what you want to say, but I think it'll fit with what you're going to say. Um, uh, Mike Pence. In uh, the state yesterday, uh, in uh, Columbus and and, um, Macon, I think was the other city. Uh, And there, the conflicting messages became so apparent. I mean, on one hand, uh, he's now starting to urge Republicans to go out and vote early, to trust the election. Uh, On the other hand, he said this about uh, the election of Joe Biden. Sam, do we have that Mike Pence soundbite?
4: As our election contest continues in courthouses across the land, we're going to keep fighting until every legal vote is counted. We're going to keep fighting until every illegal vote is thrown out. And we will never stop fighting to make America great again.
1: So, Mary Margaret, Get out and vote early, despite the fact it was early and absentee, uh, was especially absentee votes. He suggested that, too, are part of the fraud uh, that led to Biden's winning the election. But you Republicans should go out and do it. Uh, We need a counterbalance in the Senate, but President Trump may still be the next president. Uh, I don't know how Republican voters can process all this in their heads right now.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier the TV ads were driving people to the polls. Well, the TV ads are designed to take people away from the polls, as we know. 100 percent of the Republican ads thus far have been mm-hmm. negative ads that are very, very uh, deflating and defensive. But it's about the ground game. In this, ver- It's not about the TV ads. It's about the ground game. And the fact that the national magazine, New Yorker and the Magazine, is focusing a sweet little story about Decatur teenagers registering 17-and-a-half-year-olds who are going to be 18 before January 5th is a great example of how you've got a ground game for the 73,000 people who are registered to vote newly. The Graham game is always important, but in this incredibly unusual year, incredibly unusual year, it is more relevant than usual. The Republicans are going to have a hard time, despite Mike Pence coming here and saying it's recovering from the ridiculousness of the shooting themselves in the foot the way they did before November 3rd on the absentee ballot issue. Uh, That was strategically terrible for the Republicans, for the president to say it was all, you know, fraud and legal and stealing it, which he continues to still say in even more aggressive, ridiculous ways, uh, which makes him look more like the crazy uncle that was referred to in one of the national commentators. Um, And trying to clean up that mess is a little bit of an uphill. The political science... um, Brian, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. The political science that tell us that Trump's base voters, a certain segment of the Trump base voters, had never even voted before, that were attracted to politics in uh, 16 and 20 based on um, a, a, an attachment to the uh, to a caricature of a, somebody running for president from a reality show. that those folks, have no identity with Kelly, have no identity with David Perdue, and don't care at all about Mitch McConnell, don't know who he is, that they're not going to come back to the votes. By contrast, Mitch McConnell is the devil in many of the circles where I uh, engage in political discussions. We know who Mitch McConnell is, and we are highly, highly motivated to assist President Biden bring
1: this country back to a rational, civil debate. All right, Brian, why don't give me, let me give you a chance to respond, and then I've got to get to a break. Um,
4: well, you know, Mary Margaret's social circle is going to be a very elite, highly educated, non-representative uh, focus group as far as what they think and what they talk about. If they think Mitch McConnell is the devil, they are in a very elite status of people as far as their knowledge about politics. And so she's comparing apples to oranges there. I mean, there are Republicans in my social circle who love Mitch McConnell and do support him and want to see him be majority. That's the apples to apples. But the the question is about the Trumpers, the people who voted for him and they don't care about anybody else. And they do exist. That is a real group of people. And you talk about Kelly and David's ads, but their strategy in those ads is to appeal – to those people. Much of their messaging is about keeping those Trump loyalists engaged and motivated and ready to go vote. And I think their their TV ads, you said it 100% negative. I don't, I don't think that's wholly true, but I would say largely true. And that's strategic. I don't understand why Warnock is staying so positive. I don't understand why Warnock refused to attack his opponent during the debate. It made no sense to me. I think it's a huge... A huge mistake on the Democrats' part. Now that I'm here to give them advice.
1: Uh, first of all, Brian, let me make one quick correction. Virtually all, I, I, I say all of the outside uh, money going into PAC ads for the Republicans are negative, period. I mean, we Rick Dent, who monitors this stuff on the sh- and has been on the show a few times to talk about it, has made that quite clear. Um, obviously, the Democratic PACs have been running negative ads as well. But, so let's not say that all of the outside ads aren't uh, negative because they are. Kevin, you want to get one quick word in before we take our break?
3: Uh, I would just say that um, this question about who the Trumpers really are, um, I'm hoping uh, at some point to really know because I think no one knows for sure. How how many are there? How big will they be? What will they do in this race? How are they interpreting all these things?
1: All right, let's do this. Thank you, Kevin. Let's get to our first break of the show. We have so much more to talk about when we come back and we'll do that after these messages.
3: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else.
1: Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, two stars of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Jim Galloway and the editor Kevin Riley, on the show today. Mary Margaret Oliver is with us, a state rep from Decatur, and so is Brian Robinson, Republican political consultant and president of Robinson Republic a Communications Group. We're going to have a conversation now about a client. Of Brian Robinson, so he gets to weigh in on this, but we also have to take him with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 Jim <laughs> and Kevin, let me let, let's <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's let you both uh, can speak to a story that uh, appeared, I think it was Mark Nisi and Brad Schrade, uh, published uh, overnight online and is on the front page of the paper this morning. Jim, to, the setup for this, quite simply, is um, we know that Brad Raffensperger has gotten an enormous amount of credit for good reason for holding the line and insisting that the election here uh, w- was, in fact, an honest and accurate when there was no fraud. Um but in doing so, he also was very quick to announce that there were, they were initiating 250 investigations of possible wrongdoing, and they were bringing the. They'd asked the governor to let GBI get involved. They've assigned like 28 agents to track this down. It's become a theme on the campaign trail. Kelly Loeffler uh, talked about it in her debate against Raphael Warnock, um, and now Brad Trade and mark Nisi have actually looked at these uh, so-called uh, misdeeds and found there are far fewer of them and there is virtually none or or a very small number that have anything to do with fraud or misdeeds of any sort jim
2: right right uh, i think they, they they said there were 130 uh, 30 investigations ongoing uh and and uh, it, it's it's uh, what we have. I think is a Secretary of State who is getting who was getting beat up awfully bad uh, early this uh, earlier this month. He uh, he 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 touted that number. Uh, he put it. He touted it on uh, in, at, at press conferences in the Capitol uh, on 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 TV and some very high profile interviews, uh, and clearly he was overstating it. Uh, I, I will say that that at no time did he or his people say that when when they were using the figure. T- 250 at no time were they saying that that any of these investigations were were something that that might overturn the results of the race and I, so so I think that's important to to, to keep in mind but it, it clearly he is he he he's been pressured to uh, to to show republicans that he's that he's uh that he's hearing their cries of fraud this this happened uh there, there uh, if you'll recall after the June 9 primaries uh Raffensperger came out and uh and said he had a, about a thousand cases of double voting uh, 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 that, that he was in, investigating, and 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 I, I don't think there was much to come of that either.
1: Yeah, uh, so quite, I, we should be was, clear. Not only did. Wait, Kevin, let me just throw one quick thing in. Let me amplify what Jim said. In fact, the secretary of state said there weren't enough cases that would uh, change the outcome of the election. I just want to make uh, sure that we get uh, that, that point in. Go ahead, Kevin.
0: Well, this
3: I'm going to say a couple of things, then to turn this into a question for Brian. Uh, but uh, okay. I, I just uh, don't see. Uh, how, over time, it is a sustainable strategy for Republicans to do two things that they seem to be doing. The first is creating all this imaginary fraud, which they have. I mean, it's almost become like a joke to anyone who's serious about concern about election security. It doesn't exist. They can't prove it. Every now and then they march out some case that might seem like it's working out and, uh, or is fraud, and it, and it doesn't. And second is the, the idea, Brian, that, that the Republicans find themselves in a position where they appear to want to make it harder to vote. Now, I, I don't expect you to necessarily be nodding your head on this, but uh, and I know the Secretary of State is a client of yours, but how does this make sense for Republicans in the long term?
4: Well... <laughs> you know, as far as these, you know, these internal divisions within the party that is just sniping back and forth, one thing I've said to people this week is, um, you know, in this Senate race, um, the the Democrats are less motivated, but they're united. Republicans are motivated, but they're divided. And uh, I think that internal fight over these election systems have, have really driven that division. And and I think what you're seeing here going on in Georgia is is situational. It is a product of the fact that we have a 50-50 state and the election was essentially tied. I mean, yes, our electoral votes go to Biden. He had a 12,000-vote margin. That's how the rules work. I'm not saying that. But statistically, it's tied, right? And uh, statistically, at a place where anybody can win, anybody got a legitimate shot statewide of, of winning. But so I think the conversation over time is going to – Move in a more positive direction toward reforms that restore faith in the in the system. And look, I have spoken out many times about on this show, uh, pushing back on Republicans who have undermined faith in our election system. Let me point out a piece in your paper today, Kevin Riley, uh, former A.G. Sam Owens, who's also a uh, guest on this show from time to time, has a great piece on the uh, uh, op-ed page uh, about. The, the importance of following the law, following the Constitution and and uh, defending the integrity of our election system, I appreciate people like him standing up and saying that. Um, I think once the passions of this election go away, we can begin to move in a more positive, constructive uh, direction. I hope so. I hope we can do it in a bipartisan way um, and let me go back to one quick thing before the break. Kelly Wepper is running ads about. Uh, constituent services, people who her office has helped, that's very positive, if not 100% negative.
1: All right. Um, before we, we've got a little while yet, but Mary Margaret, I want to get you into the conversation again. Certainly you can respond to what Brian's saying. But I also want to say the Raffensperger, the secretary of state's office this morning issued a statement uh, 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 responding to the AJC article saying that this was the problem. This was the media making mistakes about what the secretary of state's office had said about the investigations. The media got it Wrong. Well, if the media got it wrong, Mary Margaret, so did Kelly Loeffler, who used that 250 number, as I said a little while ago, in the debate against Raphael Warnock, and that has been repeated time and time again when uh, Republicans are asked why they're not ready to just concede Biden won the election in Georgia.
0: At some point, uh, Brian, you and I will have a, at another time a discussion about what elite means in in the modern world of Georgia. And I, will, I will buy the drinks, and we will talk about that. The, um, the the fascinating spot that the Republicans have put themselves in is, which I'm watching, thinking in, in, from hopeful perspective, the Democratic eyes is it's impossible for them to recover from the trashing of the election system that the president of the United States uh, led. That is simply a, a very, very significant uphill path. Uh, the inconsistencies of the message, the total uh, discrediting of and this faction about fraud is a very, very deep hole. Now the Democrats are feeling a little warmer about Secretary Raffensperger, obviously. And um, I think I'm going to make an assumption here that the 250 number was an exaggeration and a mistake. I mean, they're having their their press profile is incredibly high every 30 minutes, every hour for the last month. It was probably a mistake rather than an intentional act to discredit the election process. But it was a mistake. And it is part of the painful pattern to watch, which is self-destructive for them. But still painful for our democracy to discredit our election process on an hourly basis.
4: You know, let me say it was not a mistake. It was explained actually in the same story that uh, the 250 was cases they had had throughout the all of 2020, and they clarified that's what they meant.
2: Um, uh, Bill, if I could uh, uh, speak up for my boss here and emphasize a point he, he, he's, he's made is, uh, yes, Republicans are, are, are very deep into the kind of this meme of, of voter fraud, voter fraud, but occasionally they slip up. Uh, you have a, 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 a lawsuit filed by uh, the Trump campaign and uh, the Georgia GOP in Fulton County Superior Court where uh, that, that says voters have a right to be protected from voter dilution. Not fraud, but voter dilution, mm. and that's—I mean—that is—that's—that's—that uh, uh, is—that's—that's something entirely different. Then you just yesterday, just yesterday, you had a a a, a, a tweet uh, put out by Betty Price. She's the wife of Tom Price, the former uh, congressman. Uh, she uh, lost her house district, state house district seat in uh, 2018, and lost a uh, uh, attempt uh, a rematch. Uh, in, in november but this is the tweet that she just sent out yesterday she said it it should take effort and studied information for people to vote not just harvesting the votes of apathetic low information voters many of whom didn't even know wow. they were registered to vote that's uh, that is that's 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 significant i think
0: that's a yeah i mean mary success. margaret
2: we, we go-
0: that's a huge mistake that's not the message the Republicans want to send, that they are the elitist and that only the people who uh, cannot uh, read, uh, only those people who own property and that are uh, the elite of the society should be voting because they're the smart people. That's a terrible message to send out. And I'm very fond of Betty Price. I enjoyed working with her. She's an unusual and from independence. But that was a huge, bad message to send out, not to mention that it was offensive to a whole lot of people.
1: Um, Let's talk just a little bit more about uh, the whole question of accepting the outcome of the election. There was one item that came up this week that I really didn't want to miss a chance to talk about, at least briefly. Um, We know right now, Kevin Riley, that there are Republicans who are a plan Republican members of the the House and perhaps the Senate, who when on January sixth, when uh, they are required to ratify the decision of the votes of the Electoral College, we know that Mo, Mo Brooks from Alabama in the House and now perhaps <laughs> uh, yeah, Senator-elect uh, Tommy Tuberville uh, from Alabama in the Senate uh, may want to try to challenge the legitimacy of the Electoral College. Uh, vote. Um, Kevin your, Greg Bluestein asked Kelly Leffler the other day, in fact he asked her while we were on the air whether she would support an effort to overturn in the Senate the outcome of the electoral college vote and she refused to answer. Um, what's ironic of course about that is that will happen on January 6th, uh, a day after, she may or may not have been elected to that seat in the Senate. It's very interesting timing, Kevin.
3: It sure is. And so, <laughs> on one hand, uh, uh, you might, some might say, well, she's pretty good at sticking to those Republican talking points, and that appears to be a strategy: is don't wander from those because you need these voters. And then, on the other hand, it just sort of is starting to defy common sense uh, about the Electoral College. And 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 what's going on. And back to this, do you want to be uh, on the side of history that argued (laughs) we should ignore the people's will?
1: Well, and, of course, the absurd thing about it is that the House is democratic, uh, democratically controlled, and so Biden will be confirmed as the president. And if they pull this stunt, it's just going to mean that Republicans are going to have to go on record uh, for or against, which is not necessarily a good thing down the road. Mary Margaret? Kelly
0: Lassner makes a mistake every day that I just think is, is – is, I- jaw-dropping, considering that she has unlimited money and unlimited skills, consultants, and unlimited opportunity to present a positive face. The idea that she would still uh, support the Texas lawsuit, that she will challenge the presidency of Joe Biden, that she—I haven't seen the Attila the Hun add back, but it—you it, know, what's coming next is always um, a concern. When you have your picture made with the KKK president, uh, it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake, and I don't in any way suggest, well, I don't know. I assume it was not intentional, it surely what she said. But here you have a campaign with unlimited money, and you have a campaign like all campaigns now that have a, a, har- a large amount of restrictions around them about who gets into events and who does not get an event. Those are mistakes that Kelly Loeffler cannot afford to make, and continuing to make daily mistakes uh, when you is it, very relevant in, in my eye. Of course, I'm playing, paying very close attention. And Bill, I do want to say something about the Reverend Warnock ads at some point. I hope we have a chance to talk about that.
1: What do you want to talk about?
0: It's fascinating to me how he has presented himself in a positive way, obviously, in a way that is pastoral, which is an authentic picture of who he is. Um, I had the experience um, that I value a lot. There's not all experiences of a statewide campaign that are valuable, but the valuable experience of going to 100-plus black churches over a two-year period um, was very educational to me, very uh, heartening to me, and very positive to me. He is reaching out to the community of voters that have always been civically engaged and always voting, and he's trans that that experience in the black church is being, I think, in the quality of his ads, being transferred to a white community in the suburbs. Uh, he is identifying himself in an extremely positive way. And it's an intentional and sophisticated and positive act, when you, particularly when you compare it to a of the Hun imagery. I'm a big fan of All right. Reverend Warnock's ads. All
1: right. Brian, you just heard from Democrat Mary Margaret Oliver uh, singing the praises of uh, Raphael Warnock and, of course, being critical of Kelly Leffler. Uh, uh Before we break, uh, i give you about 30 seconds to respond. All right. Cut me off when the time comes the the, uh, the Warnock
4: ads are tra- <laughs> the, the, the Warnock ads are trying to sort of repeat the Biden strategy from their convention. You know, forget all these other all these issues. Just focus on the fact that I'm a nice guy. Look how friendly I am. And I'll, I'll say I have heard Republicans throughout the state say they like Warnock's ads. So I'm with you on that, Mary Margaret. Of course, he's got great stage presence. He's good on camera. People love the Christmas light ads because it's relatable. Yeah. Um, But this is not a persuasion election. This is a turnout election. The Republicans are running a turnout strategy, and Warnock is not. And I, again, reiterate, I think it's a mistake.
1: All right, that's interesting. I've got to get to a break. But what, Brian, you're suggesting is that voters will not respond to someone who speaks to their better natures, but in fact, to their worse. I think that's an interesting uh, observation. All right, let's get to a break. We'll be right back. You know, this is one of those shows where I have all these topics I always line up and share with the panel before and say, here's what I'd like to talk with this, this, and that. But when I have a great panel like this, I sort of feel like I just need to sit back and let them all talk. And we never get around to all the topics. And I'm really grateful that we have such a good panel and that I could just let you uh, share your wisdom, really, uh, with our listeners. Uh, Very quickly, uh, I want to tell you about next week uh, because it's going to be a different kind of week for political reasons. Rewind. Um, We're not going to be on the air at all on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. We really need that break. And in fact, um, I really want Sam Bermas-Dawes and uh, Amelia Brock and I to have a little breather from all this. So on Monday, we're going to present to you a show with a Princeton professor Julian Zelizer, who's written a book on the career of Newt Gingrich and makes it clear that the toxic partisanship of today uh, has its roots way back in 1978 when Newt Gingrich won his first uh, race for Congress. Tuesday, we're going a little bit different direction. We're going to have Bruce Feiler, the best-selling New York Times author uh, who wrote the book Walking the Bible, talk about how we deal with what he calls life quakes, how we get past the terrible crises that we face in our lives lives. It's his uh, new book. And on Wednesday, we're going to continue a holiday tradition. I do an annual reading of the fabulous Truman Capote short story, A Christmas Memory, which is one of the most beautiful short stories uh, I think you could ever want to uh, uh, hear. So I hope you'll join us for all of those shows uh, next week. All right. Jim, Jim Galloway, you wrote a column as long as we're talking Senate race, about a partnership between Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff that you see as a significant rekindling of a long partnership uh, that's existed, particularly in metro Atlanta, between the Jewish community and the black community. Talk to us just a little about it. It's really a wonderful column, and we'll post a link to it on our social media pages.
2: Uh, yeah, this is the Sunday column, but it's already up on 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 online. Uh, th- there was a, a very interesting ad that the the, uh, uh, the 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 Jewish Democratic Coalition put out, uh, and in which Warnock describes uh, describes uh, his relationship with Ossoff and saying, you know, here here you've got a a a a Jewish man and an African American pastor, and he and he and 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 and. and he goes uh he he compares this relationship to uh to the one that Martin Luther King Jr had with the with the Atlanta Jewish community back in the day uh he cites the 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 murder of uh, of 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 those three civil rights workers in Mississippi in 1964 uh two Jews and an African American he says and it it's it's they've we've got an interesting situation in these two senate races uh right now. You've got you've got uh Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue running as a ticket and clearly Ossoff and and Warnock are running as a ticket. But but they're reaching back to this historic parallel uh in 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 and hoping that that will resonate with in, in a very positive way with voters. It also kind of it it's it also explains how they've got this symbiotic relationship going, Warnock and Ossoff right now. I mean, uh, Ossoff, Ossoff uh, is 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 bringing younger voters. Uh, and 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 he has clearly shown shown that he can uh, appeal to to uh, 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 at Metro Atlanta's uh, suburb, white suburban voters. Warnock brings the African American base, uh, and 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 what I'm, what I point out in the column is that Ossoff has become essential in defending Warnock against these Kelly Leffler attacks that portray portray uh, Warnock as, as anti-Israel and, and in some cases anti-Semitic.
1: All right. But that said, Ryan, uh, Raphael Warnock, as a preacher, has made comments that there are members of the Jewish community who find very offensive talking about Uh, 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 the notion of apartheid, talking about how uh, uh, Israel has treated uh, the Palestinians to some extent like the South Africans uh, 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 government-treated blacks there. And that is a very, very hot issue in the Jewish community here. And although Jews tend to vote Democratic more than Republican, there's a significant number of Jews, especially, again, in metro Atlanta, who are more conservative. So that is a real issue that Warnock has to deal with, and the question is, can Ossoff really inoculate him against that?
4: It's not only important with many members of the Jewish community, Bill, but also many members of the evangelical Christian community who are uh, fiercely pro-Israel, and, of course, uh, they are also motivated by that message. And this goes back to what I've been saying on the show. This is a turnout election, and those videos from the pulpit are motivating for Republicans, but also for many people in the middle, because they do come across as extreme. And I've, I've ta- been talking with reporters this week You've said that that they've been getting a lot of response to the new ad where uh, Warnock's words from the pulpit have to be bleeped out uh, as being something that's particularly uh, incensing to many people in our electorate. So I think if Ossoff outperforms Warnock on the ballot, and it's you know there's not going to be a lot of trade-off, right? I and mean, it's going to, for the most part, what one party gets um, in one race, they'll, they'll get in the other. But if there is any drop-off, it is because of that treasure trove of video of Warnock that has motivated Republicans and moderates against him.
1: Kevin Riley, uh, Brian does make a point. Warnock has a long career in the pulpit, and he has, over the years, um, given sermons that, if you put them in context, may not seem as uh, problematic as pulling out sound bites here and there as the ads do. Nevertheless, part of his role as a pastor, as all pastors tend to want to do, is to challenge his congregation uh, to understand issues uh, in a much much larger context. But it, it is a problem for him, Kevin. As a practical matter, he has to do as well as Joe Biden
3: did in some key areas in order to win, right? And so then it becomes a question, uh, uh, just a question of, I mean, his sermons appeal to the people who are going to vote for him already. It's a question of what they mean to the people who are on the fence or who are thinking about whether or not they turn out.
1: Uh, Mary Margaret, we're, we're very short on time, but just very quickly, it is fascinating, however you feel, conservative, liberal, to see two people, a Jew and an African-American, who rarely are able to win. We know how how uh, difficult it is for either to win in a statewide election. It almost never happens. And here, they're your representatives on the Democratic side. If nothing else, it's going to be fascinating to watch how voters respond.
0: Drilling down on the real political science of 2020 is going to take up a lot of time of a lot of academics. But the only thing we know for sure, the thing we know for sure right now is that this is the most unusual time ever in Georgia politics. It's pivotal, it's changing, and we're all watching Georgia.
1: Mary Margaret, you get the last word on today's show. Mary Margaret Oliver, Brian Robinson, Kevin Riley, Jim Galloway, thank you for a really terrific Uh, An energetic conversation uh, today. As I said a couple minutes ago, this is our last live show until a week from Monday. We'll be with you on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday next week with shows that we're very happy uh, you're going to get to hear. But I do want to say on behalf of Jesse Neiswanger and uh, Sam Burmistaz and Amelia Brock, uh, that we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas out there for all of you who will be celebrating next week. It won't be the same. We all know that. But I I hope it's a joyous, joyous day. Uh, We're back again on Monday with another show. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and if you haven't done it so far, make a plan to vote. Bye-bye, everybody.